good to be here. And the God is a good God. And He is whether we believe it or not. And um, this theme of hope, <clears throat> I want to take a few moments with us tonight as we begin our celebration of the Advent season. Forty years ago, I was in a little village preaching a revival, and um, there was a missionary, a pilgrim holiness missionary, that invited this young preacher. I was in my early, early 20s. It's a long time ago. And uh, we had a great time. I I remember so vividly, he was driving folks back to their homes, and uh, one night I rode with him in little 12-passenger van that he had, was taking folks back to their homes, but it was very dark. And the van broke down, and we had to walk back maybe a couple miles back to the missionary house, to the uh, parsonage where he was staying, and it was extremely dark. We could not see each other. We were side by side. And so we kept talking so we knew we were together. You probably have experienced such darkness, have you? Probably. It reminds me of uh, the southern preacher, James Weldon Johnson, in years gone by, he penned this beautiful poem called The Creation. And in, in one of the lines, he, he says, he was trying to describe the darkness that was uh, in, before God created, the, the blackness of things. And he described it as uh, a thousand midnights down in a cypress swamp. I imagine that's pretty dark. There's a darkness that's described in our text this, morning, this evening. And it is not the material or the physical darkness that I experienced some 40 years ago or uh, James Weldon Johnson penned in his poem. It is the rejection of God by people, by his own people, that enveloped them in the most moral and spiritual darkness imaginable. They had forsaken him, and uh, in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel under the king Pekah, and in, uh, close by to the west of them in Syria, Rezin, they had formed an alliance to fight Judah, to go against Judah. And instead of calling upon God to help them, they were going to call on Assyria, a superpower at that time, to help them. This was during the reign, of course, of Ahaz, the king of Judah. And uh, they had left God. They, they did not think much of the strength of God 
or the power of God to help them. Instead of looking up to him, they were looking at an earthly superpower to help them. And, and in fact, the, this darkness is, 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 is given in, in a strange, in, 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 a, in a way, at the end of chapter 8, I want to just back up. Our text is in chapter 9 of Isaiah, and we'll look at the first seven verses. But I want to back up just to set the stage. In chapter 8, and in verse 21 and 22, that closes the chapter, he says, And they shall pass through it sore distressed and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse by their king and by their God. In other words, they look up to their God and curse their God. They look to their king and curse their king. And, 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 and turn their faces upward, and they shall look unto the earth, and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and into thick darkness they shall be driven away, to thick darkness. And this darkness, again, is, is, is moral and spiritual bankruptcy. No life, no God. These are God's people. These are the same people that left Egypt, descendants of the folks that left Egypt and had all, the, uh, the, all that God, all the manifestations of God. And here comes Isaiah. And in our text tonight, chapter 9, but there shall be no gloom to her that was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time have he made it glorious by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And here it is. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And they receive this light, or they will receive this light, not because of anything they had done. It is sheer grace. And by the way, when we think of hope, hope is understood in terms of grace. The people who walked in darkness have now seen a marvelous light, the doing of God, not because of merit, not because of anything. They did not even turn to him as yet. Isaiah looks down through the prophetic telescope, and he sees what God is going to do. Some of it will be immediate in their own time, but some of it will be down through the centuries. And he'll describe this a little later in this passage. He said to them, Thou hast multiplied the nation. Thou hast increased their joy. The nation had been decimated by the Assyrians. The very people that they, had, uh, they were running trying to get to help them. God used the Assyrians to crush them. And their population depleted. 
But in God's promise of hope, he said to them, Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased their joy. They, they joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Joy, restoration, the reversal of their darkness. For the, the yoke of his burden and, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as in the day of Midian. So he uses a couple pictures here. First of all, the rejoicing that comes with a bounter harvest, with great harvest. Men rejoice over the toil of their labor and, and fruitfulness. They rejoice over it. They rejoice because the oppressor's uh, uh, bur the burden of their, of their oppressors is now broken. The, the rod of his oppressors thou hast broken as in the day of Midian. He goes back to a picture in, in the book of Judges. Chapter 7, when you get a chance, you can look it up. When Midian oppressed the Israelites, when they came and, and, and devastated them, took their crops and, and just left them Again, Desmond. And God raised up Gideon. Gideon had an army of 32,000 to fight the Midianites. And God said to him, too many. Let's reduce it. So that when this victory is won, no one will take credit for it. And from 32,000, they ended up with 300. Not a very bright strategy for military uh, maneuvering, is it? Grace. It is the power of God. And so he uses this illustration of Gideon in the time of Midian to show that God's power, God's might, he will crush the enemy. Notice another picture that he uses in verse uh, uh, 5. For all the armor of the armed man in the tumult and the garments rolled in blood shall be burning for fuel of fire. The weapons against you, the enemies will be crushed and their weapons will be fuel for the fire. Victory over the people of God. And then we wonder, well, who is this commander? Who is this hero? Who is this military uh, that uh, man that's going to do all of this. Irony of ironies. It's a paradox here. We're anticipating a strong man to march through and destroy the enemy, burn their weaponry. And then the prophet, in the most sublime moment, says to them, as he had said in two previous occasions, verse 6, one of the pivotal verses in this passage, for unto us a child is born. No kidding, Isaiah. A child? Isaiah had already mentioned in chapter 7, verse 14, you can read it in 13, 14, unto us a child is born, a virgin shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel. You remember that? That's chapter 7. In chapter 8, uh, uh, another child is born, and you shall call him some strange name. You want to read that? 
Go back to chapter 8, verse 3. And, and, and I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived, and this is Isaiah now, and bare a son. Then said Jehovah unto me, Call his name Mahashahal Hashbash. How would you like to name your child? That's chapter 8. And then back in chapter 9. So this child of Isaiah is sandwiched between Emmanuel, virgin, Esther. Shall bear forth a child. And then he comes back. When we're looking for this hero, he comes back in verse 6, for unto us, child is born, this Emmanuel child, one immediate Isaiah's time and the other ultimate. This new child that is referred to. And Matthew picks up on this. When you get a chance, look it up. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 to 14. He quotes this passage from Isaiah and he says, this child is the Messiah. Jesus is more than just a child. It's not Hezekiah. It's not Isaiah's child. It is the qualities of this child that is described there, the character of this child. Let's look at it. For it is in this child that the hope is born. The hope not only of Israel then, but our hope and the hope of people down through the ages. Hope. Look at him. This, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called, and I'm sorry they have a comma between wonderful and counselor. It shouldn't be. It should be wonderful counselor. Although he's wonderful, there's no doubt about that. He's wonderful. But in the text, it is wonderful counselor in line with the wisdom teachers of the day. He's wise, this child, this God child, this prince, one who will sit on David's throne, is wonderful counselor. Paul captured that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Paul says about Jesus, He has become to us, those that are in Christ, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, and the redemption of God to us. He's wise. So when you have issues and when you have problems, who do you turn to? Do you go to Dr. Phil? <laughs> Dr. Laura? There's a time folks turn to Oprah. He's, he's the counselor. And in him are all the answers to the deepest issues of our lives. But there is more. The next 
virtue or the character that is given to him in the next line is that he is mighty God. No human being has ever been called mighty God. So this child is not Hezekiah or Isaiah's son. He's a God child. He's God with all the strength and power and authority to effect change and transformation and bring light into our lives. The people who walked in darkness, Isaiah said, have seen a marvelous light, great light, the power of God in your life and in my life tonight. Hallelujah. Is there anything too big for God? Can God answer the deepest questions that you may have? Can God sustain you? And no matter what's going on with you and your family, in your response to his call upon your life, Jesus, this child king, is a mighty God. And mighty here carries the idea of his leading a host. He's, he's the host. He's Yahweh the host. In fact, later on in this passage, it speaks to that as well. He's leading a strong and mighty army. But he's also the everlasting Father. So we moved from the immediate child of Isaiah to the ultimate. Son of God, who is the everlasting Father. And the idea of Father is this nurturing, caring, protecting, providing God. The shepherding God in our lives. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He is God. And He speaks to our hearts when we are in trouble, when we are lonely, when we are burdened, no matter what's going on, He is the everlasting Father. And everlasting means what? Everlasting. I, I haven't found a different definition for it. It is not seasonal. I grew up in a culture where mangoes were seasonal. And in the summertime, mangoes were everywhere. Seasonal. And we couldn't wait till the mango season got around. And uh, my, one of my favorite pastimes for snack would be to climb a huge mango tree, get myself propped up on a nice branch, and then pick one, eat it, mm, not good. Pick another one, yeah, that's better. And just do that. That was my afternoon snack. But this father is not seasonal. He's not short-term. Amen. Everlasting, loving, caring, nurturing, protective, providing father. Can Jesus Christ be that to you and to me today? And the answer is yes. There's more. 
This child, this surprise answer to the, to, to, to the dilemma that the, the, the Israelites face, faced is also the prince of peace. The word peace here, shalom, wholeness, balance, symmetry, harmony, soundness, integrity, whatever adjective you want to use to describe this idea of shalom, that this, this wholeness that God brings into your life and to my life is found only in Christ Jesus. Peace is not the absence of conflict or no bills to pay, no exams to take. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. Shalom. The sense of, of wholeness. And, and, and a sense of, of an identity in Christ that settles every question that you may have about your walk with God. It's found in Him. That's hope for us today. And, and, and then he says in this verse, and, and, and uh, let, let, me, let me see if we can wrap things up here a little bit, of, of the increase of his governance or his government and of peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from now even unto evermore. Forever and forever. The question tonight is whether this child, this prince, God, this child king is really governing your life and my life tonight. How can he be with us, this Emmanuel, this transcendent, Child God, this king, this God, who is so other, who is so far removed, if you may say, if, if he's so morally perfect, if, if he's so infinite, if he's so eternal, and, and how can he be with us who are created, sinful, finite, mortal, how can he affect this kind of change into our lives? Surely he can only be with us, maybe in a metaphorical way, in some kind of figurative way. No, no. So we may say the barriers are so vast and so big to cross. God, infinite, morally perfect. And we, sinful, finite, mortal, <sighs> this transcendent becomes one of the created. That's the story of this child, this God, becomes one of us. And it is the, the most astounding, the most amazing 
story in all of history. That this God, and that's our hope, this God becomes one of us. The, the transcendent becomes one of the created. The morally perfect experience is what it is to have you know, almost sinned. But he didn't sin. But he experienced what's the effects of sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The infinite becomes finite. The immortal experiences mortality. He died on the cross. Yes. And he is with us. That child is always the Emmanuel child. He is with us. The child uh, born of the virgin is the son of David, yes, but, but he is also the son of God. The, the bulk of his ministry, if, you, if we read the Gospels, was in Galilee, which is what this text was saying. He'll reverse the darkness. Zebulun and Naphtali were upper and lower Galilee the foot of Mount Hermon. And when the Assyrians traveled, there was a road of commerce that traveled from Assyria, Mesopotamia, to Egypt. And those little villages were in the pathway. You could see why that was priority for them. And they got the brunt of the Assyrians when they came through. But now they will get the victory and uh, the liberation and the joy when Christ comes through. Now, the, the, by taking into himself the sin and the oppression, the horror and the tragedy of the world, he was able to give back righteousness and freedom and shallow fulfillment and wholeness. In fact, we may argue that it is hard to think of any other way in which the apparent contradictions of Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 could have been resolved than in the way in which it actually was in Jesus Christ, this child. This child to be born. So the significance of the passage for us tonight is have we allowed this Christ King to take over the government of our lives? It is only then can we know the benefits of God in us, the hope of all the ages. We cannot have the light and the honor and the joy and the abundance, and the integration of our lives unless we accept his offer on his terms. God with us. No more darkness. Amen. Tonight, as we look at Christmas, as we look at the Advent season, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Joe, you really do not know my, my situation. Maybe I don't. But God does. And years and years and centuries ago, he made provisions for your situation. When I pray.
prophet Isaiah, looking down through his telescope of prophecy, says, a child, a son is given, a child is born. And so God can help us because God is with us. Amen. Would you say with me, Emmanuel is hope. No more darkness, only the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you. How we praise you tonight for this promise, this Messiah. And now we are part of this messianic community called the church. Church of the Living Christ. Teach us to live in the awareness of the light, of your grace, of your victory, of your harvest, oh God, so that we can be truly your people as we serve thee and walk with thee. Amen. Amen. And so tonight, go in the power, presence, and the peace of Emmanuel. God be with you. You're dismissed.